Welcome to the Retail Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. For four decades, JGA has been leveraging the talents of storytellers and craftpersons to create a convergence of art and science in order to create branded environments. To better understand how this convergence comes together, we're sitting down with JGA Chairman Ken Nish to talk about how this industry has ebbed and flowed over time. Ken also opens up about the snowstorm that led him to serendipitously joining the industry, what emerging trends he finds most fascinating, and he'll go into great detail about one of his most recent projects, the James Allen Showroom in Georgetown, D.C. How you doing, Ken? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for hanging out with us, Ken. Ken, I think a good place to start would be to just talk about JGA. Like, what what exactly, what's what's your elevator pitch when you have to explain it to strangers? Well, we, we kind of bridge this uh, world between strategy and reality. Uh, so often people are coming to us, they have a, an idea, it might be a service, it might be uh, an experience, it might be entertainment, it might even be in, in you know, very uh, specific businesses like healthcare or transportation. And what they're asking us to do is, is help them visualize and dimensionalize uh, the idea. Um, and, and most of our work is consumer facing, some of if it's uh, B2B, but most of it's consumer facing. And uh, our role is to say, I, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a new product or a new service, and how do I best envision that product and how it comes to market? It, it might be the environment that it's sold in, might be the communication or the packaging. Today, increasingly, it's the, uh, the, the digital environment that the product lives in. And it might literally come down to, uh, you know, what's the music, what's the scent, you know, uh, what do the people look like and act like that work in that environment? So we're, we're taking a strategy and an idea and we're finding a way to dimensionalize it in both uh, real and imagined environments. So I find that really interesting, right? Because I do think you, you're in a very unique position where you have to bring in people from different teams, right? Oh yes, it takes a village. Uh, you, know, you know, sometimes we joke around that, you know, our, our uh, uh, you know, kind of our team list is planetary, not just uh, uh, regional. Uh, because, you know, particularly in a, in a very uh, complex or diverse business, you know, if you think of uh, uh, industry that attracts all sorts of people like mobility, um, and, and of course you're going to segment your product or your service uh, to, to some type of group, either demographically or psychographically, but particularly as we think more psychographically today, uh, a lot of the, the typical, uh, uh, you know, uh, gun racks and pickup trucks sort of uh, methodology that we've used for so long to classify consumers is really falling away. It's, it, it's more tribal than it is even demographic. So you can imagine the type of team, um, particularly in a business that, you, you know, we might be working with a, a retailer that's focused in tattooing and body piercing and, and uh, you know, the, the next day it's somebody that's selling bes- bespoke, uh, $2,000 uh, uh, Xenia suits. Um, and so you can imagine that how the, those teams look very different and, and reflect very different uh, backgrounds. Right, yeah, that level of flexibility is, is, is amazing. You know, when, when you say going from travel to demographic, can you explain that a little bit? Well, if you think, you know, so much of consumer has been focused on things like income, uh, age, you know, race, uh, you know, background, uh, uh, you know, is this, is this someone, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a new customer or is this an existing customer? And, and for a long time, retail consumer products, you know, people like this bought Cadillacs or p- 
people like that, you know, uh, you know, went to Brooks Brothers. And um, I think what we're looking at now um, is because the uh, uh, demographic is really breaking down and it becomes more of a psychographic, you know, what's important to the, these people? Um, you know, what, what are the things that uh, they aspire to from, from, you know, life's ambitions or aspirations? Uh, uh, e even if you look at something like income, um, there's a term which we like called uh, uh, the Henry's and a, uh, a consultant, uh, Pam Danziger, has put together that term, which means uh, high earners, not rich yet. This might be somebody that's, you know, working in financial services who doesn't have a lot of wealth, but has, uh, you know, great cash flow, and they may be buying the same product that, uh, you know, someone who who inherited their money would be interested in. And in the past, those two people wouldn't be in the same consideration set, but today, um, they might be. Um, but they come to that in a very from a very different perspective. You know, one being you know, on the rise and the other being more established, but there are certain products, particularly, for instance, luxury products that they might have an, e might have an equal interest in, albeit from a different perspective. So today, there, it's just a lot more complex. Um, part of this is because of what's happened in the digital environment. Everything is so transparent and accessible. Uh, some of this is because what's happened in sort of uh, consumer environments, think of gateway cities like New York and uh, you know, San Francisco, but there's a lot of wealth in places like, you know, Omaha and St. Louis. Um, and so if the conventional demographic, be it based on geography, income, race, uh, uh, age, were to play, well, you, you wouldn't find a way to talk to, the, to all those different people who have similar aspirations, albeit very different demographics. Right, right. So Ken, I want to shift over to one of the most one of your most recent projects, right? The James Allen Showroom in Georgetown. Can we break that down? How long did that preparation, uh, pre-production take? How long are you involved afterwards? T tell me a little bit about that. Well, this this is a concept that'll be uh, launching in about three four weeks. Um, it's it's part of a large group signet, which is a uh, uh, the world's largest seller of luxury jewelry products and a lot of nameplates that you probably know, you know, Jared, Kay, Zales, um, and uh, uh, James Allen is actually part of a group called R2Net. And, and this is a really interesting company and it really speaks, you know, volumes about what's happening in the consumer space. This is really a technology company that to some extent happens to be in the jewelry business, but first and foremost, it's an innovation and technology company that has a wide variety of patents on process and technology from photographing fine diamonds to uh, try-on technologies and, and really established an online business. Uh, the company was purchased about a year ago, I think, for, by Signet, and now is moving from a pure digital play into a, a digital physical play. Uh, we, we, we like to use the term circular commerce. Uh, and so it's a great example of a, of a technology-based company who's leveraging its um, both its uh, technical aspects of its technology, but also the process elements of technology and translating that from one environment in, into another. And, and frankly, who, who uh, can apply that technology to a variety of businesses, uh, the first one which happens to be uh, fine jewelry. So, uh, I, I mean, our involvement is as many uh, cases happens is, is really uh, putting together uh, basically the call to action or, or the mission. So if, if we look at um, 
this particular case and you talk about a customer who primarily is accessing a brand digitally, looking at and ways uh, how to enhance the, the customer relationship, the lifetime value of the customer, um, and how to do that by the marriage and integration of the physical and the digital. And in this case, um, you know, if you're looking at metrics uh, as to, to sort of inform your activities, because, because aesthetics really are almost a, a, an afterthought, is that, you know, d does this uh, attract a consumer that maybe would be uncomfortable uh, with, with the digital pure play? You know, can a concept like this increase the, the uh, rate of sale? In other words, the likelihood of the customer to come back more often or sooner uh, after making their initial purchase? Does it affect the customer's comfort uh, at, in the size of the purchase? And then I think one of the most important things, does it change the uh, uh, perception on the part of the customer as an ambassador for the brand or the experience? Uh, where some customers may say, I had, a, I had a digital experience, it was great. But if you marry that with a, a uh, physical experience, you all start, start to integrate things like emotion and, and the human factor, uh, you know, memorability, even things like Instagram become important. Uh, which may not be true so much on a physical uh, or on a digital pure play, but on a circular commerce model with both physical and digital, things like social media and Instagram uh, being an example are, are really important. So the process really starts with, you know, what are you trying to achieve? You know, what are the hurdles and, and opportunities? And what are the unique uh, uh, attributes of that brand's personality that you can bring to life in a physical environment? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up just because I do think a lot of brands and companies or, or even, you know, firms that put on pop-up shops or, or, or whatever physical spaces sometimes integrate technology just for technology's sake, right, without thinking about that user experience and, and if it even makes sense for the brand. So I think that, that level of awareness and even the way you would use uh, social media, right, like most places should probably have some kind of uh, uh, presence on social media. But whatever style they choose to go with should definitely reflect the brand. Correct, and and the consumer, uh, as as we all know, is is you know I mean all the crazy things being talked about you know uh, social media addiction and you know time that you spend on social media you know the consumer is becoming much more of a uh, editor and curator um, that rather than purely being a producer or, or creator of content. And uh, so, you know, what people are willing to look at and, and uh, share, in, in many cases, some of the best, obviously, content is consumer-driven that's distributed by the brand. Um, and to the extent that the consumer believes it's val valued and valuable, uh, they're likely, you know, to produce better and, and more curated content, which the brand can use. But to go back to your earlier point, I, you know, I, I think one of the things that, you know, I, I call a digital litter, um, is because it's, it's become so easy and so inexpensive, particularly on the hardware side. Content, is, as, as you know in, in your life, you know, content is, is really the, uh, it's the most important central factor and the hardest thing to produce and sometimes the most expensive thing to produce. Um, but because the hardware has, has gotten so cheap and, and frankly I think a lot of people in leadership positions you know, are, are, are afraid to uh, uh, miss the boat uh, because they feel like somehow they're going to be criticized if, if their environments, you know, isn't full of screens and digital activities, is that, uh, you know, we, we've been victims in many cases of digital litter. 
so I think one of the challenges now is is to figure out what's the the least best rather than the, the most we can do. Uh, figure out how we can get consumers to both value um, and find uh, it valuable to participate, um, you know, digitally with with the brand, be it through social media, you know, or some other type of, of, of creative approach. And then in the end, what do we really expect to get out of it um, as a, as a producer or as a as a provider? Um, and 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 then being able to measure that and uh, uh, not not just gather data, but but, but respond to it. And so what we're seeing is there's a lot more focus on what I would call uh, sort of empathic interface rather than broadcast and empathic being, you know, much more subtle and uh, in the background rather than so much in the face of the consumer. And that's kind of moving how we integrate uh, technology. A good, good example being at um, uh, James Allen in terms of using technology to help people visualize uh, how product would look on them. You know how it might look. You know, in terms of different uh, uh, elements in their life. You know, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, casual or, or formal, and and uh, help them. You know, really use technology to understand and, and visualize the product, um, not just as a as a distraction or, uh, or entertainment. Well, first of all, Ken, I just want you to know that I'm gonna 100% start using the phrase digital litter because I think that's perfect. <laughs> That is 100% perfect. It's yours. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and second of all, yeah, I think that that's fascinating, right? Just because there is something, it, not necessarily new, new, but it, it, there's something that, that's continuing to grow where it is this, this concept of the user experience and the brand ambassador and, you know, there, this value that not only comes from making a sale, but from creating a consistency where people are... are you know, experiencing their brand and, and love the brand because of this experience. So has that, you know, changed the, your approach when, when you, you know, begin a new project? Yeah, you know, I think it has. And, and I, I, you know, so many people talk about the retail apocalypse and, <clears throat> excuse me, Amazon and, and, you know, what's happening to the retail environment. Um, you know, in, to me, it's all good. You know, the, you know, the fire has to go through the forest for the new trees to grow and, and, we're kind of at that stage, and so I think this, your, to your point, is that um, how we use it, you know, how we think about it, where it falls in, is really making retail, in many cases, much more focused on things like social shopping. Uh, you know, uh, I use the term make tailing, which is this uh, growth of uh, consumer input into what products look like, what products are sold in environments. Some great examples could be a company like Everlane or Shinola or even James um, Allen, uh, because they, they use the, the technology and the ability to visualize and customize a lot of this enhanced through technology to really drive their, their guest experience. So in so many ways, the store has really evolved into a, a, a maker space or, or a, uh, uh, you know, kind of a social space in which people, you know, like-minded people come together to uh, create uh, products that that uh, are really an expression of their individuality versus the typical retail format, which was basically, you know, the brand creates the product, they market, they push it in the store, customers buy some of it, they mark down what the customer doesn't buy, hopefully they buy it then, and, you know, eventually, uh, 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 you know, they move on to the next thing. And so there's much more of a, of a sense of the a customer pulling the product, um, 
participating in the creation of it and, and actually just making the product on demand rather than have it uh, sitting there hoping that somebody will, will, will buy it. And that's really changing the dynamic of what retail um, spaces look like, the kind of people that work in them, the use of technology, um, and even supply chain. So, you know, the, to me, lots of really positive things happening. Uh, some pain along the way, but, you know, without the pain, um, you know, you're not going to have the innovation and the, uh, the, the evolution of the, of the segment. Right. And I, and, and I think you're right. Like understanding and, and, and really engaging with that, that the idea that it is a relationship that, you know, will be beneficial, beneficial to both parties in the long run is, is what's really important here. Yeah. And, and I think you say in terms of relationship is, you know, we talk about brand loyalty and, and to a great extent, you know, I think most people would say brand loyalty is a, a thing of the past, but relationship loyalty, I think is a whole different story. Um, and, and that, that is, the, you know, really the personification of brand versus the idea of brand as a badge. It's really, you know, brand as a, as a, a person, almost a, a, an empathic person rather than a, uh, uh, you know, a badge. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. So, Ken, the last thing I want to ask you about is how you got involved in the industry, right? Because from what I gather, it involves a snowstorm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, this is one of the, uh, the, you know, the person broke their legs, so the understudy had to go on. And, and this goes back a long time ago, but I, I, like many people, you know, I started my working life, you know, in, in, in retail and uh, uh, literally worked in a, a store in a mall and, uh, you know, uh, I was in high school. And back then, the olden days, uh, people used to wait till Thanksgiving to say that Christmas was coming. Um, if you've been out, I was I was in, in one of the big box uh, home building retailers, and they're already pushing out Halloween and uh, setting up Christmas. So, which is a very bizarre thing to see the bleeding zombies next to the happy reindeer. Um, but another a conversation for another another time. But literally, uh, you know, as as the dutiful uh, clerk in the store, I pulled everything out of the the uh, storefront windows as the 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 uh, designer was coming down to set up christmas literally was a snowstorm uh the, the people that owned the store said well we we can't have the day after thanksgiving have empty windows can you just put something in till the the they can the, the expert can come back uh, the next week and, and put the real thing in place uh, and so i you know did my job and and spent thanksgiving day uh putting in a a, a window and they came down and said we like your window better and uh said why don't you do the rest of our chain and uh, literally for the next uh, four or five years when I was uh, in school and university studying architecture, that's basically how I put myself through, uh, uh, through school. So uh, it, like most people, I never thought of being involved in the retail industry, uh, 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 but went through architectural school, had the great opportunity to co-op with what was then federated, you know, think Bloomingdale's and all the great local department stores, had, had great mentors and, um, and you know, had amazing opportunities to see the world and uh, meet some really amazing people around the world uh, in the in this space. It's, that goes back to your first question: is it's a really interesting village of people that they go into retail. Well, Ken, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I, I appreciate you being so candid with me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketskill.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.